2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Today, it's Mary Kay Caput, Scott Patsko, and I talking all things Browns. We start off talking about OTAs, uh, whether Browns will report, what they might be missing, what might be gained, all of that stuff about spring football and the controversy swirling around that. And then Scott pitches us our death lineup on defense. I guess I should say his death lineup on defense, a a kind of callback to the Golden State Warriors and what they did. Uh, when they turned into an absolute juggernaut back in the 2015 finals and carried it through a few years what would the browns death lineup on defense look like and do they have the tools to run it so we kick that around a little bit too make sure you check out football insider it's the blue banner at the top of the page at cleveland.com slash browns to get info and get signed up all right here we go our wednesday orange and brown talk podcast here we go on our wednesday edition of the orange and brown talk podcast we're going to start with OTAs because normally this time of year we'd be gearing up for 10 OTA practices and then a mini camp but things are still a little bit weird some teams have had players report a good number of players report things are a little more complicated for the Browns because the president of the NFLPA is on their roster Mary Kay where are we at right now as far as OTAs are concerned and, and Browns players potentially attending
0: Basically this week that we're in right now is the one week phase two of the nine week off season program. This week you you were actually allowed to get players out on the grass with some instruction with some coaching, but the Browns decided to keep this week virtual for their veterans. They still have their rookies in town and I'm sure they're getting out on the grass with the rookies, but for veterans, they kept it virtual this week. They're not doing that next week. Phase three begins. And that will be three weeks of 10 practices over those three weeks. So it's like three, three, and four, something like that. So that starts next week. And they're going forward with those practices. And I've been trying to find out who's coming, who's not. Um, Because when we talked to Greg Newsom at rookie camp, he was saying that he expects some of the veterans to start filtering in and going to those OTAs. He's talked to some guys that are kind of tired of working out at home. As it turns out, J.C. Treder believes that most of the Browns will stay away. They made a decision along with players from 20 other teams to skip these voluntary workouts. So Treader believes that most of the Browns will still skip these. So I'm very interested to see who's going to show up and who's not. Some of the people who do show up are guys that are coming off of injuries and in town to rehab those like the Grant Del Pitts and probably the Greedy Williams. Uh, and some of the other guys have workout bonuses that they only get if they're going to be here in person. So those guys are kind of, you know, off the hook basically um, but the rest of the guys like Jarvis Odell Baker we have no idea who's coming or who's not and I don't know if the Browns do either
2: so Scott you've I mean you, you've watched these spring practices we've all watched them um, what what do you think is to be gained and, and what's lost if guys don't show up
1: first off what, what if Odell's the only one who shows up for the veterans <laughs> wouldn't that be a nice uh, switch yeah. after that whole storyline uh, a couple years ago I'm kind of coming down in JC Treder's side of the aisle here because just you know, based on what happened last year, the Browns did not do this in person, and they did it virtually with a first-year coach. And you look at all the things they accomplished last season, and it's really hard to argue that this is really something they just, you know that they really need. I, I understand totally where you know where Trevor's coming from. And then you add in the whole injury side of it. And the fact that they believe injuries, you know, were, we're down because this was all virtual. So I guess I'm, I'm with Trenner on that. I, I even said it when, you know, when we were talking almost every day about where's Odell or if it's not mandatory, maybe they shouldn't be doing things that are, are really, really necessary for you to be there for, you know, if the coaches are doing things that are going to put thing, people behind, maybe that's on them. I I, don't, I just, I think I side with the players on this.
2: Mary Kat, I mean, same question to you. What's gained? What's lost? Where where do you kind of see this?
0: It is a very, very interesting topic, debate, dilemma for players because JC, as we mentioned, is the president of the NFLPA. And I kind of do see where he is coming from. These are voluntary workouts and that always bears repeating. They're voluntary. You don't have to come. Some players don't want to be in Cleveland in their off season. They want to be in their homes, in Florida and California and wherever else they live or traveling around to wherever. I really do get that. Now, I've always thought in the past, you know, why not come? It's three weeks long for the OTA part of it if you just wanted to do that part of it. And then there's a mini camp. They're working out generally wherever they are anyways. And I do think it goes a long way towards developing some of that camaraderie some timing and those kinds of things, but it's, it's voluntary. And everybody has to remember that nobody should ever hold it against anybody for not showing up for voluntary workouts, I believe, and nobody should hold it against anybody. Nobody should judge anybody for that. I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, even these rookie, the rookie mini camp and the rookies being here right now, that's voluntary too. They're doing that basically, Upon the advice of their agents and against the advice of the NFLPA, or the I don't know who they're doing it upon the advice of, to be honest with you, but it is against the advice of the NFLPA. The PA didn't even want the rookies to go to rookie camp, they don't even want there to be a mandatory mini camp. Uh, so I get where, where JC's coming from, but it might make for a little bit of an awkward situation when some players want to show up next week.
2: I'll be interested to see how many Browns players do show up. I think there's got to be some middle ground here somewhere that that these two sides can come up with, because I, you know, I do think we saw last year and we've all, like I said, we've all watched these spring practices. We all kind of know. Sometimes you pick up on stuff. Sometimes you don't and how much is actually gained here and there. You know, I, I think there's some positives and negatives. I'm playing both sides on this as much as possible, I guess, but I just, I think the point is, there's got to be a middle ground somewhere in there where it's like, I don't know, maybe there's two mandatory weeks or something. Like, I I don't know. I I feel like that's where this is going to head eventually to where it's not going to be eliminated, but we're going to come up with some sort of middle ground. That's going to allow these coaches to coach guys and give the players an opportunity to have more of an offseason.
0: Well, by the same token real quick, that people shouldn't judge guys for not showing up. I don't think guys that decide to show up should be harshly judged for that either. You know, I mean, I understand that these teams wanted to show solidarity and as a union, they, they wanted to affect change, but these workouts are, you know, they're, they're here for a reason. And if they want to get in good with their coaches and get ahead of the game and try to make sure that they're positioning some themselves well uh, to win a job or something like that, then I don't think that it should be viewed as they're crossing some kind of a line next week either. And, and that, you know, that other teammates should be mad at them for doing that. So like you, like you guys said, I mean, there should be some kind of a middle ground. It should be okay to do whatever you want to do.
1: I think the middle ground is going to be like more classroom, less on field, or at least if you're on the field, it's more walkthrough type of situations, just anything to like limit the amount of actual putting players in situations where they could, you know, get hurt or whatever. I think, that's probably what you end up seeing, you know, because there's a lot of value. And like, I think we talked last year about how, you know, what would not be great if Jedrick Wills was sitting in the classroom next to Joel Batonio all day uh, instead of doing it through a computer. So there's things like that, that there's, I'm sure a lot of value in for everybody uh, on the Browns. And that seems like it would be a, maybe a smarter middle ground.
0: And they are doing that. That has been one of the biggest changes in the offseason program this year is that they have backed off those 11 on 11s. I don't think they're that they can even do 11 on 11s anymore, which is where most of the injuries occur. Most of those things are walkthroughs now. I mean, even the rookie camp that we watched, it was like individual drills and walkthroughs. That's all it was. So I do think that they're, they're handling that the right way. Although we see some pretty intense workouts in Florida and other places, but you know, just from the team standpoint, what they have to do there. It it really is more so going to be on a walkthrough basis, but, and fans get really, really, this is a hot button issue. Fans get upset that players don't want to come here and work out. And that's one of the things that JC gets upset about is that fans perceive it that way, is that they're not being true to their team. But think about it for any one of us. If we had, you know, let's say we have three weeks of vacation. And for two of those weeks, our company was offering an opportunity to come and do, you know, whatever for us, writing seminars and different, you know, things like that, workshops and whatever. If we want to go to those things, fine. If you don't want to go to those things, then take your three weeks off and go do whatever you want to do in your off time. It's your time. So that's kind of how I see it.
2: Like you said, Mary Kay, fans do get upset about it sometimes, but you have to remember during, you know, from about the middle of july or the end of july until whenever the season's over these guys are going 7 days a week it's pretty intense so you know look if somebody told me like work during the football season and then we'll see you in july uh, you guys wouldn't hear from me from <laughs> like, february until july that's that's what i would do i wanted to bring something up here because scott i know you're working on something and i thought it was really interesting And look, it's a little topical because we're recording this on Tuesday. This is going up on Wednesday. Wednesday night, the Golden State Warriors are going to play in one of those NBA play-in games, and and they were sort of the inspiration for this. You were kicking around this idea of a Browns death lineup on defense. So I kind of wanted to let you explain that a little bit, and we could maybe react to it.
1: So this kind of came about when uh, our last episode of got to watch the tape kind of went off the rails for a few minutes. And we started talking about things that had nothing to do with football. Um, But we were talking about Jeremiah Ousu koromor and his versatility and how he was kind of viewed as a tweener, right? That the hybrid in between positions. And we got on basketball and started talking about positionless basketball. And most, most football fans have heard that term associated with football over the past five or six years. It keeps coming up. You know, with guys like JOK and others who who can kind of go back and forth between different positions and do multiple things. So the Warriors, for people who, aren't, who don't know, and that would include, I guess, Mary Kay, we found out before this <laughs> before this podcast. The Warriors kind of came up with this death lineup, like from their 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 finals from 2015 to 2019. And basically it was a bunch of guards and small forwards and Draymond Green, who's the biggest guy for them on the court. And the whole idea is they got all these scorers on the court, but it was still a small lineup. It was a small ball lineup, but they didn't get burned by that because they could all switch and play well at different positions on defense. So they could play a bigger team and they can move people around and they didn't really get hurt by matchups. And this death lineup did very well for them. So I thought, well, the Browns, if there's one word this year, like, you know, how alignment was the buzzword last year. Versatility is the line, the, the buzzword this year for the Browns. So could the Browns defense have a death lineup? Could they have a lineup they put on the field that when a team is trying to rally against them and has to throw, or it's it's a, it's a key third down and they want to have good coverage, but they don't want to get burned by a run. Like who, how do you get those, the best versatile players on the field? And what would that look like? So that's what I'm kind of kicking around with this. And Clearly, I think JOK is part of that in the middle of the field. We saw teams like the Chiefs last season against the Bills. They had like four safeties on the field a lot when they played them in the playoffs. A couple of years ago, the Chargers had, I think, seven defensive backs on the field when they played the Ravens. So we see seen some other teams kind of get creative and making sure that they kind of flood the passing lanes, but also they don't want to get beat, you know, in the running game. How would the Browns do that? And I think you know you're, you're looking at multiple safeties obviously you're looking at multiple defensive backs you're looking at maybe that one linebacker who can do multiple things and right now there might only be one guy who fits that description and then up front maybe you get crazy and that's the situation where you move miles garrett inside and you have mckinley and you know in clowny also on the on the field so you have some you have some options the, the key here is that the browns have so many more versatile players than they had last year i mean you they have like four, maybe guys who could move around and do different things last year. And now, I mean, you need both hands to count them all. So so that's where I am with death lineup.
2: Well, you know, as a parallel, the death lineup was actually invented. This is just useless knowledge rattling around in my brain. It was invented in Cleveland to begin with. It was in, I I had looked it up just to make sure, but yeah, it was game four of the 2015 finals when Steve Kerr took Andrew Bogut off the floor and put Andre Guadala in as a starter. And the Warriors didn't lose again in that finals. They went on to win 73 games the next year. We all know how that ended for the Warriors, of course, as well. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, the basketball death lineup was invented in Cleveland. Mary Kay, why can't the Browns invent the football death lineup?
0: Well, I mean, they certainly can. And I think that uh, there will be times this year where you will see an unorthodox, almost sort of death lineup like that, depending on on the matchup. And it, And as you mentioned, Scott, The Chiefs used it, uh, some version of it uh, with some success against the Bills. And as these teams continue to uh, run these types of offenses, I, I can see more and more defenses in situations like this. As you were talking, I was thinking about all the guys that you would throw onto the field in that situation. And, you know, I think you would have all the safeties out there. You know, you've got three really good sort of starting safeties. You know, you you'd have, you know, Greg and Greedy as car- cornerbacks out there with Denzel, you'd have all the safeties out there. You'd throw Jeremiah out there, you could throw Tony Fields, maybe Anthony Walker, and then you would get into as you mentioned, Miles. I don't know how many I'm up to by now, but I was counting it up. I mean, I it's it's pretty easy to get to 9 or 10. And then you just have to figure out, you know, is it going to be Miles, Jadavian and Tack and just, you know, stick with, with three up there. But yeah, I, I I could see it happening. And this is a defense that is built to do something like this. It's it's built and you will see some, some really unorthodox alignments. And I think Joe Woods is very, very creative in that way. So yeah, I could see it happening.
2: And, and I think too, to stick with the basketball parallel is I think this defense is so flexible. It might look different every single week. There might be some weeks where it's going to depend on the opponent, but there might be some weeks where it looks like a traditional base defense. And there might be a a lot of other weeks where it's like, Oh yeah, they're going seven safeties this week. I think Joe Woods is going to play that matchup game a lot, or at least he's going to have the ability to really play that matchup game based on the opponent. And this defense might look different. In week 10, than it does in week nine.
1: Yeah, I remember what they did against the Titans, and they had an extra lineman out there. I think Jordan Elliott kind of got added to the front and to shut down their running game. It was, I went back and I I looked at like snap counts when they did play the Ravens last season, and it just became clear that like Joe Woods did not have the horses to do something as creative as what the Chargers did against the Ravens the year before. He just early in the season, depth wise, uh, the defensive back, that just wasn't there. So this season, it really is kind of like hitting that reset button. And he just has so many possibilities of things he can do. I think a lot of it depends on how well some of, you know, someone like Jeremiah comes along, how well Greg Newsom, you know, hits the ground running. There's a lot of ifs involved with something like that, but assuming you're getting, you know, a, a really good version of every person on that defense, it's, it could be exciting to see.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting concept, and we know that we're, we're going to see different things from uh, this defense this year, especially because of a guy like a, a JOK, and even just in watching practice, that did stand out. I mean, it did stand out to look out there and see a linebacker in a safety body. I mean, he's just he's in he's in a safety's body, right? And you just have to kind of recalibrate your thinking a little bit on how this is gonna go uh, because we're just not really used to seeing it. And the other thing is it's, it's always cyclical. So if they start you know, doing some of this, then the offense will adjust and then it, you know, it becomes a chess game, right? But they definitely have the horses to do these different things. I mean, even last year, they were really talking about Grant Delpit and using him in so many different ways. Uh, including including as the safety in the big nickel and different things like that, which is three safeties in, in amongst your five defensive backs. So yeah, I mean, we already know that Joe Woods wants to, to run a dime defense a lot. So that just leaves you a lot of possibilities there with how you want to fill up the front.
1: The only thing I'm missing right now is an actual name for something like this, because I don't <laughs> think you can use death lineup. Like, I'm sure the Warriors probably trademarked that. So it's got to be something else. Maybe I can come up with some dog related. Uh,
0: Puppies. By the time the,
1: pu- the puppy lineup. Oh I'll, I'll cuddle. No bark. That's right.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's it's really
2: interesting when they remade the offense last year. I think we could all see how that offense was going to look, and now they've remade the defense, and I'm not sure if we know exactly how that looks. And I know one of the things that I. I think I've referenced this tweet on the podcast. So I'm just going to read it here just so it's, it's out there. Robert Mays tweeted this while the Browns were drafting. It said, Andrew Berry has spent the past month following a step-by-step guide for how football geeks would retool a modern defense. It's like if NFL nerd Twitter ran the Browns. That was a, a complimentary tweet from Robert Mays, by the way. And that's sort of how I felt watching him put this together. Like this is, and Mary Kay, we've talked about this. Is this Joe Wood's vision for the defense? Or is this Andrew Berry's vision for what the defense should look like? And Joe Woods was kind of hired here because he sort of aligned with that vision.
0: I, I think it's probably a little bit of a combination of both, but I do think that he was probably hired uh, to align with the vision and then they come his way too. you know, they'll do, you know, how he wants to do things and, and he will play these players that, that they draft, but these guys are really excited about, JOK, you could tell during practice just how excited they were to work with him, to watch his skill set. Joe came over there for a while. He had all this one-on-one attention. There were times where it was like one player and four coaches, right? Because they're excited. And they got on that that whiteboard right away. And and that's why I think they ended up with the Tony Fields, because they were so excited that they got this prototype and they want more of it. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. And they're going to get tested right out of the gate. I mean, <laughs> right out of the gate, they're going to have to be on point, but, and have their act together, but I think they're going to give Casey a real run for their money.
1: And maybe it's Paul DePodesta's vision. Maybe he's running around Berea with data that shows that coverage has more value than pass rush. And that's why they got all these guys who can do multiple things on the back of the defense. The possibility.
0: Yeah, and the other <laughs> thing is, the other thing is too, that with all the the running quarterbacks that are so darn mobile, you know, it's not like these quarterbacks are just sitting ducks back there, and you can just, you know, rush from the edge and you're going to get a sack. I mean, uh-huh. it's just not like that anymore, you know.
2: So there we go. The the death lineup. Scott's going to have a story up on that at Cleveland.com/slash/Browns here uh, at some point after you hear this, and of course you can also sign up for Football Insider at cleveland.com slash Browns, as well as that blue banner at the top of the page. Uh, I think that'll do it for this edition of the podcast. Mary Kane, Scott, I will talk to you guys later.